Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. One thing that I'm not sure that Pastor Steve mentioned uh, in the announcements is that we are not having uh, a quip hour today, but we are having our fifth Sunday family meal, uh, which is being uh, catered in. And so um, make sure that you uh, hang around for that. We'll probably um, hang around and fellowship a little bit till about quarter after 11, at which time we'll uh, go in and pray for our meal and, and uh, fellowship together over that. So just be aware of that today. Uh, John chapter 15. Again, if you're here this morning, you don't have a Bible. You can um, use the one that's in the row in front of you there. And uh, we make that available to you. That's page 848 for John chapter 15. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we would like for you to take that Bible as a gift from us. And so please uh, do that. We want to make sure you have God's word in your hands. John chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning. And of course, this signals that we're back into our exposition of the gospel of John. And we last saw Jesus and his men, minus Judas, who has already gone out to betray Jesus. They're, however, leaving the upper room where he has been explaining that he is going away. And we know this is by way of the cross. He's going away, but that he will send another comforter to them. Of course, that is the Holy Spirit, and that they should love each other and pursue this as they will be known as his disciples by their love for him and love for each other. As they leave, Jesus begins to explain something to them that will help them gain perspective about what is about to happen to him, especially at the hands of Judas. But it also serves as an important illustration for us as well. So we're looking this morning at John 15, verses 1 through 8. I think I said 1 through 9. We're actually looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. The vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. If you're able to, would you please stand with me just one more time this morning as we do our New Testament reading now. John chapter 15. I will be reading aloud as you follow along. Reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes, I, speaking, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You may be seated. That is the reading of the New Testament passage this morning. in God's Word may be a blessing to you as you've heard it read aloud, both in the old and new this morning. Would you join me once again in prayer? Lord, this morning we come asking for your help once again as we open your Word. We thank you, Lord, that those who are in Christ are also indwelt by your Holy Spirit. 
and your Holy Spirit who inspired these words and the original autographs can now come and attend to our time together through the illumination of those who are in Christ, that we might see, that we might hear, and that we might apply truth this morning. And Lord, your Spirit can also convict those who are not in Christ according to righteousness and sin. And we pray that that would be the case, Lord, that you would, through your grace and mercy, draw them by your Spirit to yourself. If they do not know you, that they would be given the gifts of repentance and faith, that they might be regenerated this morning by your Spirit and come into a reconciled relationship with you and adopted into your family and made your child. And so, Lord, we pray as well for your Spirit's conviction upon those of us who know you and comfort where it is needed and conforming where we need that as well. We thank you that you are conforming us to the image of your Son, the true God, the true man, who is now seated at your right hand and, Lord, is coming again. When we see him, we will be like him. We pray for that day. Keep us humble, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Many of you probably remember the scene in the original uh, Karate Kid, uh, the only Karate Kid in my estimation, where Daniel happens upon Mr. Miyagi trimming a bonsai tree, and Daniel asks him what he is doing about the trees. Daniel asks, how did they get so small? Mr. Miyagi replies in his broken English, I train, clip here, tie there. He then tells Daniel to close his eyes and picture the tree he wants to create. And then once he has that picture, to open his eyes and make the tree he sees in his mind by doing the same, clipping it and tying it. It's a bit of a metaphor as to what Mr. Miyagi is seeking to do with Daniel in uh, the movie The Karate Kid. And as he shapes and forms him according to what he sees him uh, to be. And he tries to get Daniel to see that as well. And this becomes the rallying cry for them throughout the movie. They just start yelling, Banzai! uh, As a means of remembering this idea of being clipped and tied and formed to what Mr. Miyagi sees Daniel to, to be, what he wants him to be. And some of you have never seen that movie, and I feel sorry for you. You've been robbed. And so you have no idea what I'm talking about. But some of you who are cool like me know what I'm talking about. So (laughs) This is being recorded, so that's now confirmed. Similarly, in order to get the kind of growth that was most fruitful, Middle Eastern vine dressers would... They would prune their grapevines. They would, as we saw here, read this morning, they would take those branches that were not producing fruit and they would clip them and throw them away. And those that were, they would be pruned. There was still a pruning process, a clipping process that had to occur. Uh, It's called, actually we'll see, cleaning that's done, a purging that is done in order that 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 is producing fruit might produce fruit more fruit. There was a clipping. There was a pruning. There was a purging that needed to happen. One author, Macmillan, states, to encourage more fruit to grow, vines needed regular pruning. Failure to prune a vine resulted in the growth of more leaves and wood. End quote. 
from this very familiar activity to the disciples. In other words, as Jesus is speaking with them, they would be very aware of this practice. Jesus draws out an immediate application to what they are about to witness as Judas betrays Christ. But as I mentioned already, it's also a helpful illustration for the church today. Here's the main point. This is written for you on the back of your worship folder. If you're tuning in to the live stream, you have this hopefully emailed to you. Those who are attached to the vine show their bond through producing fruit, which is evidence of abiding in the vine. It's a little bit of a redundancy there, isn't it? That if one is in the vine, truly, they will produce fruit. Those who are attached to the vine show their bond through producing fruit, which is evidence of that bond, of of abiding in the vine. And then, of course, we know, and I don't have this written down for you, that the opposite is true. If there is one who is seemingly attached to the vine that does not produce fruit, they are trimmed away and thrown and gathered up and thrown into the fire. So I want us to see this morning three points from Jesus' illustration of the vine. Three points from Jesus' illustration of the vine. And we're just kind of walking through this as... Um, the, the kind of uh, literature that it is, which is Jesus drawing out an illustration here for them to understand. So we're going to first introduce the persons of this illustration in the first couple of verses, really the first uh, verse and the first part of verse 2. Look at it with me again, if you would. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, every branch. And just stop there because he starts to go into the idea of the branches there. But we see the, the three players, if you will, in this illustration. The vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. First of all, we notice that Christ is again using Yahweh language. Drawing a comparison between himself and Israel's God. Uh, remember, when these I am statements are here in the text, in the Gospel of John, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. In the minds of the hearers, they would hear, I am that I am. Even though he attaches some uh, element to that, I am the bread, I am the gatekeeper, I am the gate, I am the shepherd, I am the bread, I am the vine. This I am language uh, would draw to their minds, Yahweh, I am that I am. And yet, even as he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. We see yet another person in view here, that being the father who is God. We're going to talk in a minute about the reason that Jesus speaks this way in regard to our understanding of Trinitarian theology. But first, we see that Jesus calls himself not just the vine, he calls himself the true vine, the true vine. When we think about this in regard to our opening passage, our Old Testament passage in Isaiah chapter 5 this morning, we see success here with Christ where there is failure with Israel. And I do think that Jesus is drawing the disciples' minds to Isaiah chapter 5 and even Isaiah chapter 27 as we'll see in a moment. Where Israel is compared to a failed vine that must be removed, torn down, and trampled Jesus is the true vine, which actually comes from the broken down and trampled vine. Jesus is a Jew. He is an Israelite. 
But he is the vine in which there is life and vitality as long as one is truly attached to him. Think of Isaiah 5, the failed vine, the the, the vine that is torn down and trampled, as contrasted with Isaiah chapter 27, which says this, In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it, I the Lord am its keeper. Think about what Jesus is saying here in John 15. Think about what Isaiah 5 says that Israel is not, and what Jesus is saying of himself and his father here. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it. Lest anyone punish it, I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up together. Or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. There is the failure of the vine in Isaiah chapter 5 that is torn down, trampled. But there is the success of the true vine in Isaiah chapter 27. And as you think about the progression of Isaiah's prophecy, you understand this to be the Messiah. And of course, Jesus is the fulfillment of this. This is what he is signaling here in John chapter 15. He is signaling, I am the true vine of Isaiah chapter 27. And we'll continue to explore this as we go on. Every vine, however, needs a vine dresser. And in Jesus' illustration, uh, the, the, this is the Father who, is, uh, who in the incarnation is the one who is directing the earthly ministry of the Son. So we recognize that. They are equal in essence and eternally the Son is not submitted to the Father. His divine essence is eternally from the Father and yet in His earthly ministry He is directed by the Father through the Spirit and so it is that the Father, the vine dresser, cares for the vine. Again, think of Isaiah chapter 27. I, I am the Lord. I, I am its keeper. Every moment I water it. He cares for the vine, the Son, and all who are attached to Him, the branches. Chrysostom, the, the great church father, speaking of the equality of the Father and the Son in this passage, says, How then? Doth the Son need a power working within? Away with this thought. This example does not signify this. Observe with what exactness he goeth through the comparison. He saith not that the root enjoys the care of the husbandman, but the branches. And the root is brought in uh, this place for no other purpose, but that they may learn that they can work nothing without his power. And they they ought to be united with him by faith as the branch with the vine. In other words, uh, Christostom is showing us the meaning of the illustration is union with Christ. Uh, This is the language of Paul in the epistles where he says, those who are in Christ, that prepositional phrase, in Christ, signifies union with Christ. How is it, dear ones, that we are... Um, reconciled to God, it is in Christ, uh, through the Spirit, or by the Spirit. How is it that we are 
uh, not only reconciled to God, but, but we are also able to perform acts of righteousness and, and good works. It is because Christ is in us. We, we have uh, His righteousness and we are united to Christ. When we think about this idea of being in the vine, abiding in the vine, being connected to the vine, the idea is union with Christ. Notice as well, John says in the beginning of verse 2, every branch, the branches are attached to the vine. And there are two kinds of branches and two kinds only. Those that do not produce and those which do. There are two kinds of people illustrated here, which again we will expand upon in a moment. So the disciples would understand the illustration because this is common in their day. As we now begin to head into the activities of the illustration, I want to tell you there has been no end of debate around what Jesus is illustrating here. There are those who claim that this is an illustration of salvation, that Jesus is stating that there are those who were attached to him properly that no longer are. Therefore, this illustrates someone, quote-unquote, losing their salvation. We'll see. I think there's an issue with that, obviously. Others state that God is not throwing out unproductive branches, but rather He is lifting them up so that they might grow again. I think because of the context in which Jesus is speaking of this, we'll see that there's an issue with that as well. Here's a good time for a reminder that all illustrations break down at some point, as did my Karate Kid illustration earlier, and that there cannot always be clear lines between the illustration and the experience. But we must also remember the context of the conversation, this illustration that Jesus has given. Where are they leaving? Look up at uh, verse, uh, chapter 14 and verse 31. Jesus says, Rise, let us go from here. From where are they leaving? The upper room. The upper room discourse, they're, they're leaving from there. Who has already left prior to their leaving? Judas has. Judas is about to betray Jesus. This is as much about helping the disciples understand what is about to happen when Judas betrays Jesus as it is for us to understand what happens when someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus betrays him in our day. So let's look at the activity on display In point two, the activity of the illustration, the parts played by each person in the illustration. Look again, I'll begin in verse one and we'll read down to verse six. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. The Father, it says here, takes away every branch that does not produce fruit. The Father, however, prunes every branch that does bear fruit in order that it, what? Might bear more fruit. 
Those that do not produce fruit are taken away. And, as the illustration says later in verse 6, they are gathered up and thrown into the fire. But for now, Jesus is focusing on the ones that are bearing fruit. John uses the term prune here, which has the same root as the word clean in verse 3. Look at what he says. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken you. But he does say that the Father prunes those that are bearing fruit so they might bear more fruit. Notice the way in which the Father and the Son do the same thing. The Father prunes, the Son cleans. Same root word. That's not always the case that we, it means the same thing or, or carries the same idea. That's called the root fallacy. But I think these are in such close proximity, not only to what is said here, but also what Jesus says previously. We think of the great Trinitarian truth here, that the activity of God is the Father acting through the Son by the Spirit. The Spirit is not absent here because Jesus has just been telling them about the coming Counselor who will bring to them remembrance of all truth that Jesus has spoken to them. He speaks of them being clean because of the word he has spoken to them already. It's in the past tense. So what has he spoken to them already? What is he referring to here? Well, keep your fingers in John chapter 15 and make a a quick left-hand turn in your Bible, just a couple of pages for most of us, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. We talked about how he takes the position of a house slave here. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And and Peter You know, Peter is a a bit um, of an extremist here. Lord, you'll never wash me. Well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have nothing to do with me. Then, Lord, wash all of me. If you do not, uh, Simon Peter says in verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, pay attention to verse 10. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, what is the appearance of Judas? I mean, Jesus washes Judas' feet by all counts. But what is Judas? How does it appear? Judas is a follower of Jesus. He's not just a follower of Jesus. He's not on the outside. He's in the inner crowd. He's one of the twelve. He appears to be connected to the vine. But Jesus declares, 
not all of you are what? Clean. clean. Not all of you are clean. Now think about this in, verse, in, in light of verse 15 and verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. What has Jesus spoken to Peter? He says, you're clean, Peter. You're bathed. You're in me. You're attached to me by faith through grace. By grace through faith. I said it the wrong way. You're attached to me. You're, you're in. You're clean. But not all of you are clean. Think about where they are marching to. They are marching to the garden. And what's about to happen? I mean, remember, they're kind of clueless about this. Am I going to be the one who betrays him? And will it be you? He even says, the one that I dip the sop with will be the one that betrays me. And they see it happen. They're still like, who's it going to be? What's going to happen, though, is that Judas is going to show up with a garrison ready to arrest Jesus, and the disciples are going to be gobsmacked. It's an old word for shocked. They're going to be shocked out of their gourds. Judas? What? Surely not Judas. In one sense, the illustration is about Judas. And yet, all of Israel that does not believe in Jesus, either in his time or in the coming Messiah, for those who were previous to him, those who did not take God at his word concerning Messiah, they are the branches that are cut off. didn't say every Israelite, but those who did not believe. Remember, Jesus draws this illustration from Isaiah chapter 5 and Isaiah chapter 27. The trampled down vine of Israel's failure is fulfilled in Jesus because He is the true vine. And only those who are attached to Him by faith, by grace through faith, are the ones that are truly His. They they can have the um, claim of being a branch They are in Israel, but not spiritually. That's what Paul says in Romans 9. There are some who are Israel who are not true Israel because they are not attached spiritually to Christ. They have a claim of being Israelite in heritage, but not of being a true Israelite spiritually. Subsequent to the inauguration of the new covenant, and thus the new covenant people, this is seen in the distinction between the visible and invisible church. One might be seen as attached to the vine because they have an external adherence to the church, but they are not truly in Christ. They have no spiritual connection. Like Judas, they are attached to Christ visibly, but internally they are betrayers, unbelievers, and actually they are God's enemy. They like the benefits of being attached to Christ, but there is no life in them. This is true of the visible and invisible church today. There are not two churches but one from God's perspective and one from man's perspective. Brandon Adams says it well, stating, quote, because men are not God, we must make a judgment as to who is and who is not a part of the church. And that judgment should be one of charity. That's a good point. But our mistaken judgment that someone is a part of the church does not actually make them a part of the church, end quote. This is why in our church, even if we have 
baptize someone upon a credible profession of faith, thus admitting one into membership of the visible church, they are not automatically kept from the loving and reconciliatory work of church discipline. Indeed, this is why Jesus says in Matthew 18, when the church makes a judgment about one's impenitence, a judgment that should by no means be rushed or rash. What does he say in Matthew 18? It is in agreement with who? With heaven. It is in agreement with heaven. But those who abide by no strength of their own, but by virtue of being truly attached to the true vine, they bear fruit precisely because they are attached to the vine. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How much can we do apart from Christ? Nothing. It is this connection that is everything. The way in which Old Testament Israel was attached to the vine was to take God at his words concerning the salvation through the coming of Messiah. The fact that they were physically attached to the nation meant nothing about their spiritual status. In fact, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 2. You think you have all of these advantages and yet you continue in sin and you approve those who do the same. They may have partaken of every aspect of the blessing of being a part of the nation physically, but missed partaking of the spiritual nature by rejecting God's word. As Erskine says, under the Old Testament, a nation was in covenant with God, many of whom were inwardly disaffected to him. In the New Covenant era, there is, of course, a clearer understanding of Messiah, though many Jews still reject him, as do many Gentiles. But now the New Covenant has been established, the true Vine and those who are attached to him are those who are producing fruit, as we shall see in a moment. What about those who are not attached to the vine? What about those who are not attached to the vine? The ultimate end of those who are not truly attached to the vine is what we see in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. There are those like Judas who appear to be attached to the vine, but nonetheless, they are not. As Kostenberger says, some who appear to be members in good standing in the Christian community may eventually turn out never to truly have been a part of it in the first place. Judas being the paradigmatic example. What happens to them, either in a temporal fashion or an eternal fashion, what they truly are is shown. They are thrown into, what does it say? The fire. Listen to Ezekiel 15, 2 through 4. Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest. Is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? In other words, what's special about a branch that isn't producing fruit in a vine? Is it strong enough to hold anything up on the wall? The answer to that is an obvious no, because it's brittle and it breaks. Behold... What is it good for? It is given to the fire for fuel. Dear ones, we do not like to think about those who are not attached to the vine enduring the lake of fire. But what other conclusion can we draw? Amen. If you are not in Christ, your fate 
is to be burned up like the branches that are of no use. And my call to you today is to turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone. I can beg and plead with you to that end. But I cannot make you. God can make you alive unto salvation by regenerating your heart. And I pray that that's what's happening. I pray that you would turn to him. What about those who do abide, however? This is what we see thirdly. The results of abiding in the vine in verses 7 and 8. Look at verses 7 and 8 again with me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But this is my fa- by this, I'm sorry, my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Those who are abiding in Him. Remember this as we think about this. They're not abiding in Him by their own power, but by His. They are able to ask anything, He says, and it will be done. This is, of course, not a, a carte blanche wishing. But as one seeks to live in accordance with Christ and his teaching, this is asking for that abiding in him, the bearing of fruit, the loving of him, the loving of neighbor and of fellow believers. How do we know this? We can't read verse 7 in isolation. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Again, turning to John Chrysostom quoting Jesus and then commenting, he says, quote, if, you, if ye, speaking, he's, he's speaking for Jesus here, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. This he said to show that they who plotted against him should be burnt up, but that they should bear fruit. The tr- then transferring the fear from them to the others and showing that they should be invincible. In other words, kind of translating some of the old English here, Chrysostom saying, if you're not bearing fruit, you're, a branch is going to be cut off and thrown away. But if you are one who is in Christ, the bearing of fruit is what you long for. Transferring the fear from them to others and showing that they should be invincible. In other words, if you are in Christ, you should not fear being burned up. But you should rejoice that God is going to multiply fruit in you. He saith in verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye may be disciples and bear much fruit. Hence he maketh his discourse credible. For if the bearing fruit pertains to the glory of the Father, he will not neglect his own glory. In other words, if you are in Christ and you long to bear fruit for Christ and you ask that of him, guess what he's going to do? He's going to make you bear fruit and multiply. The Father will not neglect his own glory, and ye shall be my disciples. Seest thou how he that beareth fruit, he is the disciple? But what is in this is the Father glorified? He rejoiceth rejoiceth when ye abide in me, when ye bear fruit. End quote. What is he saying? The glory of the Father, at least in part, is that Those of us who are in Christ bear fruit. What kind of fruit are we going to bear? What does this mean? 
When we think about the New Testament and the good works that are done in Christ, not in the sense that we are um, somehow producing these, but that God is producing them in us by His grace, by His mercy, by being attached to the vine, by the righteousness of Christ, we do these things to the glory of the Father. The Father is glorified when we obey Him. What one asks in regard to wishing comports with one's desire to be a disciple and for God to be glorified. That's what he's speaking of here. This is not asking for things selfishly, but those things which are in line with bearing fruit to the glory of God. How does one prove to be a disciple of Christ? That's what it says here. What is the proof? Now, again, we want to talk about guilt, grace, and gratitude. The law leads us to guilt if we are not in Christ. The grace of God is that Christ fulfills the law because we cannot. However, since Christ has fulfilled the law and we are attached to Him and we have His righteousness imputed to us, we can obey the law. Not perfectly, obviously, but it is to God's glory. How does one prove that they are a disciple of Christ? They bear fruit. Now, they're not proving this to God. God already knows. He's the one who did it in them. But what does James say about Faith that has no works. What kind of a faith is it? It is a dead faith. Right? Does not bear fruit. It's before the eyes of men. The convicting word of this is that we are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, as it says in scriptures and other places. Each action that is sinful and selfish is one that does not regard love of God and thus his glory, or love of neighbor and thus their good. We will see next week, this is how our joy, their joy, is made complete. Look at verses 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandments. So if we're talking about abiding here, what is that abiding? Abiding in love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Can I remind us of something this morning? God knows what's best for us. When He calls us to walk in His ways, He's not calling us to drudgery, but to delight. It's only a drudgery because we feel like we know better in those moments. It's a delight when we submit and are bearing fruit in keeping with turning away from our sin and continuing to trust Him. The point is that all who are in Christ grow by virtue of being attached to the vine. The true mediator between God and men, as Augustine says, quote, this passage of the gospel, brethren, where the Lord calls himself the vine and his disciples the branches, declares in so many words that the mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5, is the head of the church and that we are his members. For as the vine and its branches are of one nature, therefore his own nature as God being different from ours, He became man that in him human nature might be the vine, and we who also are men might become branches thereof. What is Augustine saying? It was necessary for God, specifically the eternal Son of God, to put on humanity so that we might be attached to the vine. As branches thereof, as he says. Again, the truth is that there are only two kinds of people in the visible church. 
Those who are true branches attached to the true vine that need pruning, but bear fruit from the source of the vine. And those who appear to be attached to the vine, but are not truly attached and are bearing no fruit and are cut off and thrown into the fire. Which are you? If you're one who is in Christ, know first of all that he is the source of your fruit bearing. It is his righteousness, his power that works mightily in you. But we submit to that. We repent when we fail and yet are reminded that he is pruning us through those failures and through the trials that we may bear much fruit in him. Therefore, in summation, we love God and honor him. We love our neighbor. We tell them the truth that they need to repent and believe the gospel. We come alongside our brothers and sisters, especially in the local assembly, and point them to Christ and His work and His finished work and their need of bearing fruit in Him. Just as we all need that as well. I need that, brothers and sisters. You need that. Let's do that together. If you're one who has feigned allegiance to Christ or has outright rejected Him, there is still time. Trust Him today. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a joy to know that we are attached to the vine if we are in Christ and that He is the source of our fruit bearing. Lord, what a joy and a confidence we can have, not because of anything we have done, but because of what You have done Yes, do we still sin? Do we still need to turn from our sin and trust in you? Yes, but it shows forth, that fruit of repentance shows forth being attached to the vine. That rest, that that trusting in Christ shows that we are attached to the vine. Lord, let us bear much fruit. We ask for that this morning in full confidence that you are the one who makes that happen for those who are in Christ. But we also pray for those who may not know you, Lord, that have feigned a connection to the vine And yet they're not truly connected. Lord, would you rescue them this morning from perishing? May we be bold to proclaim the good news to them. We trust, Lord, that you will do this work because you are a good and faithful God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.